Alex, can you give us a quick breakdown of the powerhouse team that you guys have created for the adult soccer league here in Chattanooga? We are average age, somewhere in the upper 30s, and we played a game Wednesday. It was pretty rough. I felt bad for those college kids. So the final score of that game was close, right? Very close. If you take out all of the ones that they did not score on the ground, and that's one of the rules, right? It has to be on the ground for it to count. I think that's how it works in adult leagues. Yeah, for sure. All credit to our goalkeeper who had never played soccer before. He did as awesome a job as you could expect anyone to do with a bunch of overweight, out-of-shape people in front of him running like chickens with their head cut off. You're not going to give us a score? Are you that embarrassed by it? It was a lot. Did you guys, you guys you guys at least scored though, right? I think we had a shot on goal. Well done. My problem is I am awesome on a 20-yard run, but then I'm gassed for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> so ultimately, it would be like if the Red Bulls were playing CFC. Uh, I think we did a little better than that. Soccer chat with two T's because we're going to chat about soccer, but we're also in Chattanooga. So it's like a play on words. And, you know, Chattanooga is a soccer city. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Soccer Chat. I am Adam Bruce, one of your hosts, as always, with Alex Fordney. And we were brought to you by the beautiful game network, BGN.FM. The last episode of League One Fun, they had a coach spectacular. First interview was with Red Wolves coach Tim Hankinson. It was a really good interview, uh, talking about all of uh, what he's got coming up and uh, the players that he's signed. They also had some uh, uh, interesting interviews with the coach from Lansing Ignite and the Tormenta FC coach that gave a lot of good information. If you're trying to find out about teams around that we're going to be playing that's the best place to go for information about that and the other thing i'll mention also when it comes to the league one fun is they do they have more guts than us they do a simulcast along with on youtube before they even release their episode and this last simulcast you can tell uh they're doing their research they're getting better and better which i really respect because if they're trying to cover all 10 teams i find it hard to kind enough time to to get really in-depth in our own team and then the team we're going to be playing up and we're going to do them do a little bit of that later on here where we talk about um the red bulls coming up against north texas uh the first weekend of the season will be um this upcoming weekend and this releases on a tuesday so we're going to do a preview of that but even within that i it's, it takes time to get the research and so yeah they do have multiple people on there but i really do respect the work that they put in um, as part of that um, once again part of the beautiful game network um part of the B- bgn.fm as well as check out the written side of BGN. Um, there's some really great articles out there. They're taking their time. They're giving you some really good insight. So anyone who's interested in not only the Red Bulls, but as League One as a whole, I cannot uh, stress enough how, how great the, the um, access that you can get through BGN.FM-related podcasts and those that write for BGN Written. That's another good opportunity to find out about some of the up-and-coming players that we're going to be facing. So they've got a lot of top five players in this or that uh, by position that they've been releasing. And it gives you a good chance to see some of the other clubs and what players that they've added and who we're going to be going up against. All right, so let's jump right in here. Uh, We're going to have a a really cool interview. 
uh, that you guys will lo listen to in the second half of our show today that is with Eric Quill, who is the head coach of the previously mentioned um, North Texas SC. Uh, we're coming up on our first um, actual real match. No more friendlies, no more preseason. The season's here and it's upon us, and I'm really looking forward to it. But before we start previewing that, we did have an actual final preseason match uh, kind of tune-up this past Friday night. I personally, unfortunately, was unable to go ahead previous commitments, but I, I think you got to a, a number, a part of the game at least. You want to give us a little rundown on that? I don't have any friends, so I never have any previous commitments. <laughs> I Yeah, we went as a family. We missed about the first 10 minutes because we did actually have something that we were at Friday evening before we went to the game. They played against Dalton State. The first half that we were watching, they were attacking. I was standing in the alpha section. They were attacking the far end. And the whole first half, I kept thinking to myself, you know, Dalton State, they've got a really good central defense. They 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 possessed the ball well. They were doing a great job attacking and controlling the game. The Red Wolves were. But they couldn't get crosses in to the forwards. There was just this really good center back. So they came out for the second half, and everyone lined up, and I looked, and I realized that playing center back for Dalton State was Leo Falla. <laughs> oh, that's so excellent. He played, the whole, he played the whole 90 for Dalton State, as well as Ami Pineda um, played, with, uh, played with Dalton State in midfield for them, I think as a way to kind of give it a, uh, an even up and let those guys get a good opportunity to play a full 90 minutes um, without having to sub in and all of that. They uh, did get the floodgates open scoring in the second half, which was awesome because then, then on that second half, they were coming down straight at me, and I got to really see a couple of goals off of amazing service from Josue Soto, uh, found Eamon Zayed, and found Andrew Mullen. Uh, Stephen Beatty scored actually in the first half, and there was also a couple of goals by Juan Mare, so that was uh, pretty impressive. They, Like I said, they did a great job possessing the ball, dominating play, getting it out to the wings and putting crosses in and finally getting their heads on the ball. So So do you do you think we have had enough to be able to make an accurate prediction as to what our starting 11 is going to be at least to start the season? Like do you think we're at that point where we can say, you know, here's what we can expect. I think it's pretty clear uh at least from what he's talked about in the past that his central team, he's pretty much set. Like you're gonna see Stephen Beattie, you're gonna you're gonna see kind of that consistent central part. The t the parts he seems to be interchanging a little bit more are more on your wings and your strikers. Those haven't been consistent. Yes, he's very set on his spine. I think you're gonna see Andrew Mullen and Nicholas Amponza as center backs on the defense. You're going to see. I've I've seen a lot of Walafi playing the defensive midfielder. And uh, seems lately they've moved Connor Doyle back as kind of a central mid with so with Jose Soto. I don't, Connor Doyle's he's an, it's odd to me because when he's on the ball, he seems to dominate when he's on the ball, and I don't know. I personally think he's he's a he's in the time that I've watched him, he's been better when he's been more of an attacking midfielder. But I mean. I'm obviously not the coach. I don't want to pretend to be. But I think ultimately that's where he's going to thrive. And I believe, yeah, that's the role that he was playing against Dalton State. And Hosway was kind of running the interchange between Walefi and Connor. Okay. Moving the ball up and back and forth. And so I think they've kind of settled into that. And Stephen Beattie has really found a good spot out on the wing. 
one of the other places that I would see probably has a lot of interchange is seeing Sito, who to me over the entirety of preseason was the most dangerous attacking player. I think he'll be interchanging a lot with Juan Mare. Um, you're going to mostly see Eamon Zayed, and you may see some rotation with Zayed. Being one of the older players on the team, I think you're going to probably see him get a lot of rotate out and, and have some chances for rest while they move Mare into the center. So Mare's an enigma to me because you know, I've, only, I've only seen a, the equivalent of three games. I've seen the first half in two games and then two full preseason games. Um, and so I've seen the... I've, I didn't get to see his goal that he scored. Uh, I missed that. But my whole thing is, well, every time I've seen him, he doesn't hold the ball well. Like it, I don't understand why he's being used like he is. It just doesn't seem like he... When you have a team that's built almost like it's built for possession, especially when you're talking about Zaid, maybe he's meant to be that change-up guy who's got speed, but I'm not impressed, just going to be honest. I'm in the same boat as you. It's It seems like it's been a bit of a struggle for him. He looks like a lot of times he gets the ball and he's looking to kind of get bailed out by the referee. Um, I also just sometimes it doesn't seem like he really connects well with the players as they're moving around him to make this pass or that pass to work a one-two kind of thing. So we'll have to see what happens. Like I said, I, I personally would go with Sito. I think he, he slides into that role as a better attacking option. I think really they're hoping that Eamon Zayed is going to be schooling Juan Mare. You know, he's a big, tall guy. So I think he's that same kind of person that can get on the end of a cross here and there. And I think Eamon's trying to work with him into the, into taking that same kind of role that he plays possibly. Okay. So that gives us a little insight into what we expect out of the Red Wolves. So let's change it up a little bit. We've got North Texas coming up uh, this upcoming weekend, and we actually have an interview coming up for everybody with Eric Quill, who is the uh, head coach for the North Texas SC team. How much, Alex, do you know about North Texas, about how their team is run, about the organization as a whole? I am currently looking at their transfer tracker. And I see a lot of things that say Academy, 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 Academy. So it seems like it is a very youthful team, including what we hear a lot about the 15-year-old Ricardo Pepe that they signed from the FC Dallas U-17 Academy. Yeah, that's nuts. He's apparently had a very good preseason, has scored a few goals. I'm going to be interested to see what he does against full-grown men like M. Ponza and Bob Mullen. Andrew Mullen. Why did I say Bob? I don't know. <laughs> he He's suddenly a part owner of the team, apparently. He's he's part Bob Martino, part Andrew Mullen. He he's... owns the central defense. <laughs> yeah, good, good save. Good save. No, I, and they haven't announced anyone new in a long time either. So they've basically, what they announced is what they've... They also have two players that are on loan from the second division of the Czech Republic. Well, that's just weird. That MFK Volska. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely they're going to be one of the younger teams. Them in, in Orlando City B are definitely going to be younger. One of the things that uh, I'm looking forward to asking their coach is how much of what they're doing is preparing them to be part of Dallas and how much is just autonomous doing the best for this league. Right. 
because um, that's that I think it will be interesting to see. Like what what does he see their role within the Dallas structure versus their role strictly with as their own team? Because they're very different than Chattanooga or Greenville or any of these independent teams. Even the ones that have a affiliation, like um, like you have a Ford that has affiliation with Minnesota United, they're still an independent team. So it'll be right. interesting to see what he says about that. Yeah, I'm interested to see about that, to look at. Obviously, he's going to say that they play to win every game. Yeah. But I'm interested to see what he thinks about developing these guys and what he thinks they're going to be able to do expectation-wise. I'm also curious how well they're, they've announced that they're going to have these games occasionally that are as doubleheaders with, with Dallas. I'm curious to see how those go. Does it bring more fans in for Dallas because they get two games? Or is it just the trickle-in effect that will be there before the game happens? Like, Right. Because, honestly, every USL game I've watched that's been a MLSB game, whether it's Atlanta United 2, whoever it is, there's no one at those games. I'm going to be fair. Even watching last night, Timbers 2 playing at home. They played on the University of Portland uh, soccer field. And that stadium was not very full. Yeah, it, it's it's the worst part about League One, in my opinion, is the two teams. Because they're not supported. So you end up with these empty stadiums. The good part about those two teams is you're typically going to see some pretty good talent on those teams. Especially these teams that are set up like Dallas and Orlando where it looks like they're young talent. So you might get to see... As a fan, somebody who's an up-and-coming future MLS, maybe I mean I don't think I think it's fair to fair to say if you're 15 years old and you're signing a, a professional contract, there's an opportunity for you to one day be considered a star in MLS. Doesn't mean he's going to be, but obviously they see that as a possibility, or else you're not signing that contract as a 15 year old. It's going to be very similar to when you go watch Chattanooga Lookouts, and you know. These are some of these guys are going to be going up to that next level. You had a chance to see Chris Bryant come through town. Can't tell you how many Braves when the when the Braves farm club comes through town. Not to mention Jay Bruce, no relation Sadly with no. the Cincinnati Reds. So Yasiel Puig was here as well, and uh, he got a massive speeding ticket while he was in town. It was like thirty or forty over on Amicola Highway, which if you're not local to here, Amicola Highway is a incredibly busy, incredibly heavily trafficked 45 mile an hour zone. And I think he was going like 90 or 95. How did he not lose a tire in some pothole on that road? Uh, seriously. Or, or all the like construction nails and other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But no, it, it's, that's the one thing I remember from him being here that, and I went and watched and he launched a ball that I seriously thought was going to end up on 24, like just destroyed it. So, <laughs> No, and, and, and like I said, there's downsides and upsides to having these uh, B teams from MLS in the league. The biggest upside is going to be the player talent that you're going to see come through. The biggest downside is those away games where there's no one there. So what Dallas is doing with these doubleheaders is a very interesting experiment because if we see good turnout for that, you may see more teams doing that. Uh, it helps. It gives something extra for the fans, and it also gives those players a chance to see what it's like to play at home in front of your home fans. Like, there's no way those North Texas SC fans are going to be rooting for whoever's coming in. They're rooting for North Texas SC, even though they're Dallas fans, because that's their future players, maybe. So, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. 
That said, we actually, I actually have some family friends that are going to be at the game with a Red Wolves flag. Fantastic. At that Dallas game because they happen to be going to Dallas to visit family. Um, they're actually going a day early so they can make sure they're there on Saturday. So they're leaving on Friday to make sure they're there, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So We have a plan to go uh, to Greenville. That's going to be an easy game for us. Our son will finish playing his soccer game in the morning. It's a four-hour drive. We won't be driving like Yasiel Puig. <laughs> we hope to go to that game. I would love, I would love for us to get the traveling flag and be able to have it. We're not going to be the only part of the group that's going to be going. There's going to, I know of a few others that are making the trip to uh, to have a chance to get that on there and just any time you know if we go to Birmingham to watch Birmingham Legion or for some reason we decide we want to be one of the 12 people that watch Atlanta United too <laughs> to have that traveling flag and be able to get that on ESPN plus and be almost like that Washington State Cougars flag that's at every college game day <laughs> that actually would be kind of fun just to have it running I personally would like to bring that flag to a CFC game just to see if I get jumped but maybe that's just me. Now we got the uh, podcast sponsorship money rolling in now, so we can't take that risk. Oh, okay, yeah. I think we're we're we are. Well, one of the cool things we are we host our podcast on a site called Anchor.fm. If you are a a fledgling little podcast like we are, it's a really cool setup because they will host you completely for free, and they give you the option. It's not required to include advertisements within there. They take a cut of the advertising, but the rest of that comes to us, and so. Um, we got our first real ad ad, which is exciting. We had to do the reads. I did mine. It was excruciatingly long and not well done. You redid it. So thank you for that. Um, and actually it's pretty funny, but you're going to start hearing advertisements when you're listening to us during some of our breaks. Um, give them a listen, check them out. Um, the first one we have is actually pretty cool, uh, cause there's a discount involved and hopefully the future ones will have discounts and stuff too. So definitely listen to those ads. We're excited about it. All right. So coming up next after the break, we're going to go ahead and head to that break. Uh, we're going to have an interview with Eric Quill from North Texas SC. He is the, the head coach there. Uh, we're very thankful for him to have given us his time. And so when we come back from the break, you'll, we'll start up on that. See you on the other side. We are here with Eric Quill, head coach for North Texas SC. They are the two team for Dallas FC of MLS. And he has been gracious enough to give us a chance to learn a little bit more about himself as well as uh, their plans for North Texas this season. And so we're going to jump right in with our interview with him and hope you enjoy it. So once again, thank you, Eric, for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit, tell our uh, our listeners a little bit about your history, um, where you, you know how you got into soccer? I know you have an MLS history as well, but give them kind of an understanding of where you came from and how you got into this role with the uh, North Texas SC. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm from the Houston area, and uh, I had a you know nine year MLS career uh, out of Clemson University. Uh, I was one of the original signers of the Project 40 contract when the league first came around. Um, in 96, uh, just so happens Tim Hankinson was my, my coach in the project 40. And then he was my coach in Tampa Bay. Um, so he's now going to be coaching on the other side, um, in my professional coaching debut. So it's kind of, it's, uh, really, a, um, in an interesting storyline. 
um, because Tim was the first coach that gave me my shot in the league. So um, it's uh, I couldn't ask to be playing against, basically playing against a mentor and a, and a guy that had such a major impact in my my life in the league. So um, I owe a lot to Tim. So I'm excited to see him again. What uh, kind of emotion do you think you're going to have um, having the first game with North Texas, if I'm not mistaken, one of your first professional games as a coach and being able to look across at that mentor on the field for that first game of the season? Well, it's, I mean, uh, I, it, I couldn't – I haven't seen Tim in a while. We haven't – we, we, we've kept in touch over the years. But I think maybe this is a, maybe the good Lord's way of saying, hey, you need to – you know, have a hug with a guy that gave you so much and, uh, you know, tell him how much you, you appreciate him. Um, so that's kind of what I'll do beforehand is hopefully get a chance to visit with him and, and, uh, express my gratitude. And, you know, you know, once the game starts, it's a game and both, both of us, I'm sure will be entrenched in watching our groups, um, and trying to solve problems. But uh, I just, I, I think the world of Tim and, and he's, had a long coaching career, successful coaching career in this, in, in America. And he's uh, had, a, had an impact on a lot of lives, especially mine. So I, I couldn't ask if I, if I couldn't, you know, to start against uh, somebody across the, the sideline, I couldn't ask to pick a better man to be doing against. Eric, one of the uh, things about your team versus the Red Wolves is complete kind of, different focus you guys are very much a younger team I mean you've got us you know when you go all the way down to Pepe's age you've got a, a teenager um, that's pretty dynamic and, and kind of the the talk of of the league really um, can you talk a little bit about the makeup of your team and how you why you guys decide to go that way is it related directly to being a kind of a B team for Dallas or is it more of a of a, a by design that's kind of what you want to, to be as a younger team well, it's it's by design. I mean, I, in my opinion, we have the best academy in the country. Um, so the, the top talent professional projections are are really prevalent, and we feel like this is the the best avenue to, to be able to breed players for the you know the MLS and and maybe even beyond. So there, uh, it has it wasn't like a thought overnight. This has been a process in the making. Uh, so the model here is we want to give young players a shot. And, you know, obviously when you have just a first team, you have so many roster spots and so much playing time you can give this to players. And so this second team Avenue is just a way to, to expedite player progress with our young players that we think are going to be, you know, prominent professionals. And so we, we just, uh, that's, you know, it's kind of the route we're going is, is just basically putting young players in the, in, in the fire and, and, let them grow, let them grow as, as players and human beings. So you guys have had a pretty successful preseason as we've looked from afar at the results that have been posted results in preseason. Don't always tell the full story. What have you learned about your team throughout this preseason? Well, we've, it's, we've, you know, building blocks. I mean, you basically look week to week and as a coach, you, you want to see progress. And I've seen that in our group. Um, it's a, it's a pool of players that we draw from. Um, it's Academy players. It's, it's players we have signed to our second team contracts and we have, you know, first team players that we utilize that, you know, come down. Um, so it's, it's a sort of a, a united process between three levels of play. Uh, and it's, 
you know, a lot of staffs working together intelligently to, to figure out, you know, based on what we have and who's, who's making rosters for the first team and, and who's playing in academy games on the weekend. And then now the season starting here, it's, it's putting our, our best foot forward and, and making sure we have a strong group for the weekend. Um, but the game, the roster is going to change week to week. Um, it's not like uh, a typical, you know, one, one roster only where you have a set roster of 18 to 20 players and that's who you know you're going to have throughout the week. And so it's a, it's going to be an ever learning process for, for this year. And, and as we go forward, but that's, that's, we, we knew that going out. Um, we were blessed with, like I said, with, with a strong Academy that we can, we can fulfill a lot of roster spots with, with young talented um, kids from 16, 17, 18, 19 years of age, uh, along with the players we signed and along with the first team players. So it's um, no, no roster will be the same. I would guarantee um, maybe even not even a starting 11 will be the same each week, but um, the integration is there week to week throughout the week with, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, one, Monday through Friday training, um, a lot of these same faces are going to be on the same field together throughout that week. So just at different times. When you mentioned the, the movement, does that mean that you as a organization try to have a consistent um, kind of way in which you structure the team, whether it's the Dallas um, MLS team, this league one team, your academy team, do you guys kind of have the same kind of, uh, formations and strategy that you're going to implement at each level to make it easy to move between, or is there going to be a unique um, strategy that's, that's kind of a North Texas style? No, we, we want to be the first team is our, is our apex. We want to be willing to be aligned with the first team. So um, formation style of play uh, profiles in which we build for those, those positions are all um, unified with, with first team. So, um, you know, scouting everything from top to bottom is, is basically we want to be unified and, and streamlined um, as to what we look for in players and, and put the formations we play. And, you know, and obviously there's in, in the run of play, you, you change, you can have the flexibility to change based on the game and, and matchups and, and whatnot. But um, the profiles, we, we all look um, to streamline and, and how we play. So we're very, very unified with our first team structure. Who are a few of the players that have been named to this roster, even though you say that it's going to constantly change, maybe that you're expecting to be consistently around the team through the season that are going to kind of showcase themselves in this USL League One? Well, I mean, our, we have, we've got, you know, 10 or 11 signed, signed guys to our, our second team, um, to our North Texas Soccer Club. Um and then we'll, our, we've got, a, a, you know, like I said, plenty of academy players that we've sort of identified to come in, come out, or to, to get chances in, in, our, in our squad. Um, so, like I said, I mean, it, with and having a first team at your disposal, you, you know, you never know. I mean, Ricardo Pepe could, could be playing in our first team in two weeks. And so he's, you know, we'll have him. Uh, if his if he progresses, it's all about progression. Like some players, the pathways and their and their their rate of uh, acceleration as a player is different. And so some guys may may accelerate into the first team, and you know based on a lot of variables, injury and and you know form that they're in, they could find themselves in the first team. In which case, we got to change and bring somebody else in from our academy or, or from the outside. There's just there's a lot of different different ways it can go. Um, so it's a it's a strategic um, sit down with. Uh, our staff each each week really trying to utilize 
um, everybody that we have and that we project and, you know, trying to put the strongest line up out there that we can on a Saturday. But, you know, it's not like anybody's going to be foreign to us. We've, we've seen them all. We know they're all, we know who all of them are and, and we know they're all capable of stepping in and not missing a beat. So we feel very blessed that we have, you know, such a strong, you know, unified pool of players. Your last role in soccer was with um, the Texans SC with the DA Academy, which has produced some really, really good talent over the years. But this role is obviously different. Is there anything specifically about this job that caught you off guard or that wasn't what you expected or it's just something that um, you would say this is different from what you see from the outside as an outsider? This is obviously the first time you've kind of had this type of role, um, but I you probably had what you, your expectations were going in. Is there anything that you could share for someone like myself or, or Alex or anybody who's listening that's never been in this type of role? What is it that's, that's different about it that you may not see from the outside? Well, it's, a, it's my first professional coaching job, so a lot of it's different. Um, and this is a brand new um, level of the, of the club. So this, this has not existed in, in FC Dallas. So um, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of newness to to what we're all doing and how we're all functioning within it i mean it used to be just an academy and a first team so now you're adding a, a layer that now you have to be you know there's things that catch you off guard and there's teams that but it's it's all good problems i mean look this is something this is the level of play that we've we've wanted and and shot for and and saw coming and strive for so um you know it's just it, it, i guess if you're asking for differences it's just not you're just not you don't have a we're working from a pool of players that can better need these these kind of games and and rather than a, a set you know number which you a lot of teams have and what they see on an everyday basis we're just we're different from that model we 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 have new faces in our training sessions each day or you know day to day or you know every other day um so that would be the the main difference but you know we we feel comfortable in, in how we work as a staff and as a as an organization um with with how we, our ideology that you know, we've the profiles have been chosen to play at these levels have all been agreed upon, and we feel really comfortable throwing young young players into you know highly competitive games like USL and and seeing where they go. And that's what the whole goal of it is is to to, to throw a 15, 16 year old into a, a game with men that have played for you know four to ten years in professional soccer, and you know have them have to come up with solutions different than what they've been having to do in their own age groups, um, where maybe they found ease. So it's just that it's it's a big learning curve we're expecting them to take, and and that's what it's about. So Eric, I do have a quick follow up to that. So I looked a little bit into your history um, and your career, and you had a um, according to Wikipedia, you had an offer offer to go to Ajax as a kid, as a teenager. Um, if something like this had existed, where you could have gone to like a USL League One or a, a B team for um, a team instead of going to like a Clemson, is that something you would have done or is it more like you really wanted that college experience that, that, that you can't really replicate again? Well, if you ask me as a kid, I mean, I wanted, I wanted to go abroad right away. And, and, um, but my parents, obviously they're as a, as a kid, you just want to play. You want to, I mean, you want to play professional soccer. So, and, and again, it's all about the educate. My parents weren't educated in what the, the nuances were of, of what that meant. Um, they weren't around the game of soccer. They, they were from the Midwest with baseball and basketball and soccer was a, so they were just in, in you know, a fish out of water with, with lack of education um, and what my skill set and ability were. were. Um, and so, you know, knowing what I know now and being around the game as much as I know, I, I mean, 
I I have two young boys and you know if if they're talented and and I see that this you know their passions allow them and their and their skill sets allow them to be um, what they were what I was at, at 16 to 17 18 like and those opportunities come and they want those opportunities and they're hungry for them I'm I'm going to support those um, and you have different I mean you have online degrees you have so many different ways in which you can earn a degree these these days and um so i just think that you know it's we've advanced in our in our in our thinking as to how um we we should live as a society as an athlete and and, you know skipping colleges you know some players are some players need college some players need a year some people need two years of college they're just not ready to jump in the professional game right away so the pathway for everybody is different It's, it's about being honest and smart as, as coaches and, and, you know, and scouts and agents um, as to what players realistic ability, you know, in present time really is. I mean, I think sometimes we, we push kids that aren't ready yet. If you're an agent, um, we push kids, um, maybe our, our scouts because of whatever reasons think you know, some kids are ready quicker than they probably are. So I just think it's, you know, every case is different. Uh, but college is definitely a, a platform in which some players need. Um, now, should there be more argument of more games and, and a better structure? Sure. We, I mean, we all, we all pretty much know that, but I think that college brings a, a, a level of play that is productive. Um, we've seen college players come into the MLS and, you know, after four years of college and do really well. Now, if, you know, we've seen kids come after two years, I mean, one year. So it's um, every kid's pathway is different and their acceleration is different. So, um, but you know, there are certain kids that at 16, 17, you you see a high projection in that really need the everyday and the the intense environment of playing with older players because you see the intangibles they they possess, and so you just, you just know as well not know but you have a sense and and hopefully you have enough people around you with good sense that are in discussions. It's not just one person's decision. It's a it's a you know a roundtable of 10 to 15 people saying yes, we all agree this player needs to be you know, skip to the next level. So um, that's where my, my hope is, is people are rational and, and, and they care about the kid and actually, and, and we're not, we're not doing things based on, you know, selfishness and, and, you know, maybe money and whatnot. So we're, we're really, you know, thinking about the kid first and what's right for him. And if we're all thinking that way, I think more kids will come out and be, be better for it. And, and the U S soccer will be better for it. So looking at the history that you had in your development and seeing what USL has laid down in path to pro with the league USL League 2 PDL teams as well as the USL Academy Cup that they've announced, how excited are you for how that's going to help grow, grow the game of soccer for younger kids? Oh, so, I mean, it's just, it's great. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, the more, the more people and more pathways we have for these kids that are just, I mean, different multi-tiered that allow kids to, you know, again, like I said, seek their timing of their pathway. Uh, and I think with USL, I mean, I know USL is going to keep growing. Cities like Chattanooga, who are you know, obviously fully supported um, and people excited about the game of soccer. Uh, you know, I think the next step for, for city is making sure that if you are going to go after a kid and take them or, you know, have them skip that step is what's, what are you providing from a collegiate? We all know the importance of education, right? Can we really, can you be um, good about creating an infrastructure for a kid that if you're going to, if you're going to ask them to skip steps, well, be, be willing to present 
uh, you know, whether it's an online degree, I know MLS has, has moved to the online um, degree. And I think that's important because um, you never know how long a kid's career is going to be. And if you're going to ask them to, to, to believe in you, you need to believe in them and help them, uh, you know, if, if heaven forbid, a, a, an injury was to come across a kid and, and take him out of the game and he's, he's foregone a college career or college four-year degree, that may be an institution that is very, very, you know, notable and, and is going to give him a, a job after school. Like you just have to take these things. You got to care about kids. You got to care about, we all, we, we look at the player, um, we fall in love with the player, but we all go, we also got to realize if we're going to invest in the player because they're going to give something back to, we got to give something back to them. And so I think that's where USL, my hope is, and, and is, and I think, you know, it will prevail is, is that smart thinking where kids that decide to forgo college, they're going to have something that it's going to provide them a degree along the way while they're, while they're also being a professional. And I think infrastructure too. have, have some, have somebody in the organization that's in charge of, of a kid who's 18, who skipped that he, he's, he's basically in charge of their, their collegiate career. He's making sure they're going to class and we're taking their classes and, and putting them online and, and online degrees and making sure their progress is right. Like that's, that's the stuff that's important to, to if kids are going to really, and parents are going to buy in to letting their kids um, forgo the college scene. I, I think it's very comparable when you look at it to here in the U S to, to golf and to tennis and to more, even more so on those two sports, but also your basketball players that are one and done that you start, you start seeing a lot of them talking about how they finished their degrees while they were in, you know, whether it was through for the golfers, a lot of times it's through the off season. They're able to, to actually go to real classes, but even like basketball players, you're seeing them talk about completing their degree through the college. Like I know Russell Westbrook finished his degree at UCLA and things like that. So yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. It's not the, it's not where it was 20 years ago where your only option was to be on campus. So that totally changes the landscape. So yeah, definitely agree with you on that. So question about the season with you guys being so, so integrated within Dallas how much is the win loss matter to you? Is it development is your first and foremost, or or the wins and losses going to be important as well? Development's the first. I mean, development is is by far and away the the number one goal here. Is is these kids have been chosen as as projections to play first team ball or beyond? Um, who knows? Uh, but you know, it's our job to to individualize their their development and say you know what are they missing what's what's keeping them from because they all possess something elite level right now can we get them to the second piece of the elite level can the third piece the psychological the you know the technical the tactical so it's it's about molding these these kids that we all see that um have the potential to be great um and putting them in this arena to to, to be honest, to, to fail, to, to, to learn failure. Um, they've been, they've been the best in their age groups. And so you have a lot of successes when you play in your own age group or maybe play even a year up. Um, you're still seeing a lot of success, but now when you play in, a, in an atmosphere where you're playing against guys that have been there, done that, seen that, um, and they're, they're, you know, they got to come up with solutions outside of their, their one or two ideas you know, everybody's got this, you know, I got, I, these are my areas that I'm successful when I play in my own age group, but Oh no, they're not successful now. Now I got to figure out how to change my game. Oh, I got to have to get it. I got to get my off it better. I got to, I got to change my passing range. I got to, you know, just so many things that they're going to have to learn about themselves through this process. They're not going to be able to physically, you know, be the dominant 
and that's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be a great learning curve for them. When their first aerial duel, and they're going up, and some guy's putting his elbow in in their ear and going through in the top of them. You know, like what does that do to the, the psyche of the kid? And so that those are learning moments that they don't. It's not on the the, the sheet, the, the stat sheet, um, but they're in the mindset of the, the individual that they're going to have to grow up quick, and they're going to they're going to learn quickly that. You're not going to be able to dribble past people with ease. You're not going to be able to pass and combine by people with ease. You're going to take a knock. You're going to take a slide tackle. You're going to take, you know, aerial duels in which you take a beating from. And so these, these things are like the intangibles. That they, when you get them at an early age, you learn quickly. I, I, I learned firsthand at 18 when I came in the league, like training with, with men in their 20, you know, the mid-20s to the 30s. Like it was – you have days where you're like, man, am I meant to do this? Because these guys are like – they're all about it. They're hungry. They got hunger in their bellies. And I think when you're a kid, you're like, oh, this is just fun. Yeah. But when you're actually being held accountable and all of a sudden it's, you know, there's pressure on you and, and make home and away crowds. Like I'm sure that Chattanooga is going to provide where they're going to be like, holy cow, what's going on? Momentum goes the other way. And momentum's a, a really, uh, it, it's an intricate part of, of learning and, and at the professional level, because, you can have all the talent in the world, but sometimes when momentum's not in your favor and you know away crowds are are what they are, they they can really have an impact on you and your psyche. So I just think there's so many variables that are going to allow these kids to grow so fast that we're excited about it. Well, Coach, uh, honestly, you know, just talking to you here, I'm excited to watch you guys in ESPN Plus and see you develop those players. Um, it'll be an interesting season for sure. Uh, what we have one last question for you. Um, you yep. play. The, Correct me if I'm wrong. You played a year at MPSL, correct? Is that right? I played what? Did you play? Did you play a year at MPSL? I've read somewhere you may have. Is that true? Well, if that was the acronym for the for my for the last year I ever played in a, in like a men's league in Houston, I don't I don't know what yeah. league they played in, but I think uh, Leonis is what the the team is that I played for in Houston. But I don't I, don't, I can't remember what league it was actually. There's been a lot of different acronyms. Yeah, it's probably true. To play over the last. Um, so the reason I brought that up is here in Chattanooga we've got the new Red Rules team and we've got an existing NPSL team in the Chattanooga FC Um, they are two like NPS they're moving up to create a new new pro division and the USL team is obviously the USL team associated with USL and and their connection also with MLS from an outsider standpoint uh, when you look at those other leagues do you see an advantage to someone to look in that or do you think the advantage is to be associated with the opportunity to move directly up into like an mls side like for a younger person like so if you're a kid in college if taking out the fact that you work for usl mls mls structure if you're a kid in college and you're giving me a chance to go to a, a mpsl team that's not in one of the you know, that's this obviously not MLS, USL Championship, USL League One, but it's, a, it's still a paying league that's paying its players. Do you think there's a, enough of a difference there, or do you think um, it's really just individual on the opportunity? No, I mean, to be honest, it all, it's all depends on the level of, of play you're going to get, the, the level of coaching and, and, or, and infrastructure you get within the organization. Like, what are, what's, how organized? How, what's, the, what's the setup? Who are you playing against week to week? Are those players providing you? You're, you know, are you playing against players that are, are challenging you? Um, are, are what's your training environment like? How often are you training? Is it is it, you know, are you just trying to makeshift training field? Is there is there a 
what's the what's the purpose? Like if if you can truly say what there's a purpose behind it and have the and have the infrastructure to show it and have you know good competitive games in the weekend, I don't see why anything would be detrimental to a player. I mean, the more a player plays, the better. But if you're playing against, you know, one week you're playing against a let you're taking you know, if you're beating people seven zero, ten zero, like like what are you getting on the weekend? And then what's your training environment like? Who are the people working with you that that are trying to excel your 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 pathway. I think that's the perfect answer. I mean, honestly, I think it comes down to the quality of, of the team and the infrastructure, no matter the league. I mean, I think even within the USL structure, if you don't have a, 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 a well-formed training plan with quality coaches, you're going to have the same issues. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for your time and for uh, giving us real um, insight into North Texas once again, I wish you guys luck this year. I hope you lose two games at least. But uh, other than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys' time and always a pleasure. And like, let's, if, if you guys need me on again, I'd love to come on. And, and, and obviously, I'm, I want to promote. I'm, I believe in what USL is promoting and, and doing. I think more, more and more cities are going to be a part of it. And if organizations like ours can help you know, catapult this league, uh, I'm, I'm all about it because I think I see a lot of positives in it. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Take care. Bye. Yep. See ya. All right. Welcome back. Once again, I want to thank Eric Quill for his time there. It was a really good interview and a really enjoyable conversation. Uh, couldn't be more thankful for that. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to some uh, other less Red Bulls and League One focus because we are a soccer chat in a soccer city. And without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, the United States men's national team has their full staff. Full staff. They have their full team in theory in camp and playing. A few of the players have been put on the under twenty three team that I think, in all honesty, is really part of our full team. I'm talking about you, Tim Way. Uh, Much apologies, sweet prince. To my spirit animal, I did not mention it on the podcast, and then the announcement came, and you weren't there. Yeah. So that said, I watched the uh, watched the game versus Ecuador. I watched. What's sad is I watched about seventy five minutes of it, and was just bored out of my mind because Ecuador was parking the bus, and literally took and was like, "All right, I'm gonna go see what else I've got." I was watching it on my phone using the YouTube TV app and I literally closed it out and then a pop-up came from a a chat that I'm involved in that said, I just turned on the men's national game and immediately they score coincidence to which I was like, son of a, I just turned that off. And so I had to go back, rewind, knowing the score was going to come. Then I watched the score and was like, oh wait, never mind. They didn't score. Ecuador gave them a goal because the goalie was either drunk I'm not that was sure. pretty rough he yeah. got caught in no man's land your friend is a jerk who apparently should have tuned in about 30 minutes earlier that would have helped me out <laughs> i'm a little i'm a little frustrated with ecuador we had a chance to get our full team out there and see what they could do and yeah they just they just accepted a free trip to america and everyone just chilled i know and they were talking a little bit like even after they scored the goal they didn't even try to press at that point i'm like it's a friendly like what, are you worried about giving up a second goal? Like, who cares? Trying to score. It, yeah. 
So I got off of it for like three minutes. They score. I go back on and it goes back to being boring. It, and honestly, even if I was watching that goal live, I should have been like, I would have laughed because that's literally the only way I think Zardis can score is by a fluke bad play by someone else. I'm wondering if Jossi Zardis' parents pretended that he was a soccer player to get him <laughs> accepted into college. And he just figured since his parents got him recruited by the soccer coach that he should play soccer. And he just played soccer for four years, and now he's part of the national team. I I don't think Sardis went to college, did he? It turns out he went to US, UCLA or USC. That would be uh, epic. Okay, so he did play college soccer for the Cal State Bakersfield Roadrunners. He had 56 appearances for the Roadrunners and scored 38 goals. But it's because it's the Cal State Bakersfield Roadrunners. Like, Obvious national powerhouse. Yeah, like I don't know about you, but when I think soccer, I always think Cal State Bakersfield Roadrunners. <laughs> he, led, he, led, uh, he led Bakersfield to a berth in the NCAA Division I tournament for the first time in their school history. So, Way to go, Jossie. Good yeah. on you. So that's probably what got him there was – was the fact that he led the Roadrunners to to glory. There um, was a lot of controversy about this team selection. I got to tell you, I'm I'm over Jossie's artist as a national team player. Yeah. I'm also a little over the career of Michael Bradley. I think it's time to move on from him personally. How old is he? He's what, 34, 35? How old is he? Am I, am I really making him a lot older than he is because he's bald? Is that probably what's happening? Yeah, um, I, I really have no idea. I know that it's just, it's it's time. I just, I just over, I searched for him on Google and clicked down one too many times and got Michael Jackson instead. That's not what I'm looking for. That's I, problematic. I'm glad that Michael Bradley, though, on my based off my search history, is pre Michael Jackson because I'm pretty sure Jackson should be up higher. But they <laughs> they skew it off of your own search history. That makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, he's only 31. <laughs> like, like legitimately, three years from now. 34 is not too old to be trying to And, of course, he, he made a debut. He was very young when he made his national team debut. So that is part of why it feels like he's been there forever. Yeah, he started in 2006. So you're talking 13 years ago or thereabouts. And he's – so he's 18. So, yeah, definitely young. That's like that's like um, Pulisic. Like, he's only 20. Right. People are like, you know, well, he's not producing what everyone expected him to produce. I'm like, he's 20. Like, he's still got – like three World Cups left before we're we starting to figure out where he's at. To be fair, he was unimpressive in this match, I felt. He did give the ball away a lot. I know a lot of people are upset about Tim Weah and Josh Sargent and some of these other younger players that they put on the U23s, and I think people just need to realize like the squad that was called in for this March camp, this isn't the 2022 World Cup team. No, and those guys are there for the to try to qualify for the first time in three Olympic cycles for the Olympics. I mean, that's why he brought them in. But if that's the case, why aren't don't you have all your best under twenty three years there? That's true. I, yeah, and it's going to give them a, a good chance. They're going to have some good competition when they're playing these matches, getting ready to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not panicking about that sort of thing. I'm really hoping everything's fine with Weston McKinney. And his injury, because I know he's going to play a huge part going forward. That was that was ugly. Like I, I I think I texted you just that was ugly as I was watching it. I don't. It that was bad. Like I I watched that replay and was like, oh, jeez, I can't believe nothing came out. 
Like that was that was a bad. That's not one you would just walk it off. That's <laughs> to say the very least. So. All right. So this will release on Tuesday. Tuesday night we play Chile. Do you think we're going to see Chile at least give us something, or do you think it's going to be the same junk? I hope that they do give us a game. I think that they will. Comments from Greg Berhalter said that he's looking for them to be high pressing, getting into the attack. They've sent Tyler Adams back to Red Bull Leipzig, so I think there there may even be a little bit of a change in the style for for the national team. I don't know that they're going to give DeAndre Yedlin that much room to roam like they did with Tyler Adams. Well, and so Chile started um, their they played Mexico in their first game and lost three to one. Uh, Castillo had the goal for for Chile. Chile's got a pretty good team. I, I'd expect. I expect good things out of that. They started with a two up front, kind of an aggressive style, four in the back. Like so, you could say it's a four one three two. You could say it's a four four two, depending on how you like to help. Can we say false nine? Down. Can we say false nine? That's I my favorite it. soccer term. Oh, I, I absolutely hate that term. First off, because you say that, you immediately become soccer nerd. Because <laughs> like, people look at you like. What, what did you just say? Like, Oh, they're playing a false nine. It's soccer's RPO. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where we once again start showing that we're really just ridiculous sports fans. Like, I'm waiting for you to make a ping pong reference at some point during one of our podcasts. Uh, that's not Forrest Gump related. Watching the Ocho. <laughs> yeah. I, a basketball reference. Yeah. Any of those will work. Dodgeball reference. Uh, so speaking of... Speaking of the Ocho, they had on ESPN Plus, they had a uh, replay of a cornhole tournament. I watched it for like an hour. Nice. And the part that bothered me was they did not drink nearly enough to make that a regulation cornhole tournament in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, like, they're not even drunk. This doesn't count. (laughs) How hard can that be? Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. But no, like the fact that that's now on ESPN along with, um, <laughs> along with Madden, like so I, I don't know who it was. It was it you that, that mentioned something about that they were complaining about the announcers that were announcing Madden. No, no. I have not heard that. <laughs> so somebody on some feed somewhere was complaining that the announcers were not into it enough. They were announcing someone else playing Madden on ESPN, and I was thinking to myself. What kind of like I'm a I'm a sports nerd I'm a loser I get that when it comes to sports like I'll watch anything and I'll play sports games on on my video game system. In fact, I'm not that guy who's playing like a first person shooter or something on video game. I like sports games, so I play right. I play Madden, I play FIFA, I play NBA Live, like I play basically NHL. If it's a sports game, I'm playing it. But I'm not going to watch other people play sports games. There's whole YouTube streams of just people playing video games. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm I, thankful my son hasn't found I, I feel like I now know what my mom felt like when she couldn't understand why I sat there and watched. Like, legitimately, like if a doubleheader was happening from baseball, I was excited because that meant I got to watch seven and a half hours of baseball in the evening. Um, I grew up on the West Coast, so like a baseball doubleheader would start at like 10 o'clock. It was wonderful. And so I remember my mom being like, how can you watch this much? Like, it's baseball. Like, it's not even that 
entertaining. And I was like, what are you talking about? The first game was one nothing. Was it was amazing. So it wasn't even like I was watching like a blowout. I was watching the Braves. Well, so, yeah, a Greg Maddox one nothing baseball game is incredibly and, entertaining. And it's only an hour and forty five minutes long. There you go. Yeah, like it's you know, and and it, I would have I would really wish that Maddox could have been around in today's technology because you would I remember them like you'd have the yellow box and it would just like put a square like where it hit, but it's right. nowhere near what it is now. Like I genuinely believe you would see that he never once came close to the plate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask Greg Maddox to paint your house. He'll only paint the corners. Well done. Well done. So. But we digress. Yeah, somehow we got Sorry, to... Terry. We weren't talking about soccer. Yeah, it's it's allowed, I think. All right, going back to soccer. The other team here in Chattanooga, someone say we're the other team and they're the original. Um, but the Chattanooga FC had a friendly versus the Guatemala Powerhouse. They lost 2 nothing. 7,000 fans came, which is a great crowd for them. Uh, I just want to kind of mention this. I think they can't continue to be able to pull in these foreign teams and be able to be profitable because 7,000 people I don't think is enough to pay for the cost of bringing in a team from Guatemala from just what I've heard in the past about how expensive it was even to bring in the MLS teams. So when you start bringing in the top team not even their b team from these other countries it's expensive and so it's a great thing i hope that it wasn't a a loss leader for them that they did make some money off it because they definitely need the money to pay for their new players uh because they haven't been profitable without paying players so that's going to be a hard hard wall for them to climb what do you think of that did you think that was good for the city do you think it was good for them i mean i think it again shows that chattanooga enjoys good soccer when you say that a team a professional team from a Central American league that has a pretty decent history in in CONCACAF competitions as well as in their own league, they're going to show up and they're going to watch. The, you know, the other thing to talk about that I think Chattanooga FC somewhat started to talk about, I know that their fan base has started to talk about, is they have basically ignored a large group of soccer fans in the Chattanooga area for eight of their 10 years of history. The last couple of years, they've started to try a little bit more, and that's the Hispanic community. And if you look at the pictures from that game, there was a large portion of that crowd that was part of that Hispanic community. You could tell uh, by the, the flags that they had, the colors that they were wearing, that they weren't necessarily there for CFC. They were there to watch the Guatemalan team. And I think that's an area that can go that we can tap into both as Red Wolves and as CFC to continue to grow soccer here in Chattanooga. Right. And, and if you go in one further, we have a large Hispanic community in Dalton. Dalton High School is the number one ranked team in the nation right now for high school soccer. That's a market that Chattanooga Red Wolves have a two-team in. They have the Chattanooga Red Wolves have the Dalton Red Wolves as a USL League two-team in Dalton. We're trying, or by we, I mean the, the the Rebels are trying to bring in that market. And so is CFC, which once again, as I've said before, is good. I don't have a problem with CFC doing this. I want CFC to do this. I want them to put in their academy. I want them to put into the Hispanic communities, into the African-American communities, into all the minority communities that are in Chattanooga and expand soccer across the board because I think we have enough of a market for both teams to do it. And I think this shows that. Like, I, I got in a bit of a Twitter discussion with somebody about you know, all the people that are excited about the La Liga team coming and about this team coming in. 
that has to prove what we've said. This is a soccer city. They don't care just about CFC. If they cared just about CFC, there'd be 7,000 fans at every game, right? So I think it's safe to say the fan base is there. You just have to figure out how to tap into it. I also, you know, people that are taking a huge victory lap about getting 7,000 for their friendly, there is a $2 million investment going into Eastridge that's not like a bond issue or anything like that. Owner Bob Martino is putting that money, his own money up for that. Yeah. What he's paid to get Chattanooga Red Wolves started to USL to try to get the league founded. What he is going to be spending, it's probably another $2 million or so for this soccer-specific stadium. You know, it's not going to be like the Dallas Cowboys new stadium. It's not going to be some kind of gigantic wonder park. But it's going to be a significant investment to try to do that. It's going to it's gonna be a couple million dollars. You're talking about someone that's spending close to 4 and $5 million on soccer-specific infrastructure in town. He's not going to leave just because he sees the other team across town pulling 7,000 people in. And I think at the same time, he's not leaving if he sees 7,000 people there and say his home opener pulls in 1,500. Is he going to be happy about it? No, no one would, right? But that doesn't mean because you outdrew him for a few games here or there during the season that he's going to pull up stakes and run. Uh, he's putting his money into things that don't just disappear. They don't go away. Like you're putting money into building a better structure in Eastridge, putting in a turf field, putting in higher quality grass fields, putting in the money into a soccer specific stadium building around that stadium with other infrastructure, whether it be restaurants, bars, hotels, whatever else you have around that area that you're going to revitalize because they have guarantee of having 14 to 20 games happening in that area. Those are really good investments that people shouldn't just disparage. They also should go, it doesn't really matter what happens this year. It doesn't fully matter what happens next year. What matters is over the course of three years, do they see growth? Do they see excitement happening? And the way to do that is, I think, having Sean on board, having so many locals involved in the front office, right. he- he's hearing back, the way you bring in fans in Chattanooga is you win. Like, if I look at CFC's best games, exclu- excluding the one they just had, which was one of their highest attended games ever with 7,000 fans, the games that grew, that had the biggest fans, were playoff games. They were games where... It was more than just, hey, we're we're playing Atlanta. Not Atlanta United, just Atlanta. We're playing that team that's twenty miles outside of Atlanta. Yeah. Like that, that plays at And a- we'll get twenty five hundred to three thousand fans too, which is great. But you play that same team. Say you play say the say somehow two Southeast MPSL teams make it to the championship, and Chattanooga's gonna have 15,000 fans at that game if they make the championship. It's, that's what happened when they played um, Cosmos B, right? They had, what, 18,000 or something ridiculous? It was a massive Sounds about number. right, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not because they were playing Cosmos B. It's because they were playing Cosmos B in the championship. So that's right. how the Red Bulls will build. They may have... they. What if they average 1,500 fans this year? Great, they average 1,500. If next year they average 2,000 and the following year they average 2,500, they're doing what they need to do. They're building a product. And if they continue to win, the fans that have casually gone to those CFC games, that went to a championship game, that went to one or two games a year here or there, and then they hear, oh, they're hosting a USL one team or USL championship team in 
an open cup match or whatever, and they want to go check it out, they're going to watch the game and go, oh, wait, I just went to a CFC game, and I see the quality difference. Like, you can see it on the field. There is a difference. Oh, yeah. And so I look forward to seeing how that changes because I think that's a that's a big part of it. Congratulations to CFC. 7,000 fans is excellent. Uh, they did a great job of um, making a point of playing the full national anthem, which apparently is ridiculously long for Guatemala. Like, all over Twitter, they were joking around about, like, the fact that People were starting to struggle to continue to stand. Make sure you didn't lock your knees. You're going to pass out because it was that long. Uh, <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But they, they, they put on a good show, which they've always done. Like, you can't disparage the show they put on. But two big takeaways I had. You had 7,200 fans there and half the stadium still empty. Right. You look at the stadium. It, it Certain angles it looks packed. But if you look from the far angle, there's still tons of empty seats on that side because it seats 20,000 people. That means you still have more than 3,000 seats empty on the very side you're on. And if you're willing to be a troll, you take a picture from the other side and it's completely empty. Yeah, but and everyone knows that. It, like, In all honesty, I preferred when they were on the other side. I liked that setup better uh, myself, but that's just me. Like When we went to games when they were doing some putting in some new seats in Finley, I actually liked the other side better uh, for the games myself. I don't know why. I just felt it was a better setup. I think it's because it's a little bit further away from the field, so you actually see the whole field, versus on the side they're on, you miss the corners. Right. Um, which, anyways, I know that's it's, it's taking a shot at them, but 7,000 fans, it still doesn't look packed. That's why you want a soccer-specific stadium. Like, 5,000 fans at a soccer-specific stadium looks a lot better than 7,000 fans at a football stadium that's two-thirds full. The great example, San Antonio full. FC, what they've done. Yeah. And the other weekend, I watched Phoenix Phoenix Rising in their stadium. That was that was impressive. Well, even stay with NPSL. Stay with one of their fan, one of one of their um, frenemies, Detroit City. Their stadium that holds about eight or nine thousand, I think. I may be way off. I've heard it referred to as poor man's Lockhart. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It's terrible. Uh, Hammer Tree, which they're getting new turf in, which is pretty cool. Um, but they. Uh, their stadium looks great because they only go up so high so it fills the bowl. Like, that's the point. Like, you don't want to have to ha- be so far away. One of the things that I found that I've really loved about going to these games at CCS, I dreaded it at first. I was like, I don't want to be playing at a high school. Like, there's got to be something better than that. Then I get there, I'm like, I talked to you about this. Like, you get to be pretty close to the field. And that stadium was originally built for soccer. They added football later. That's a soccer stadium first. So it's built for a, it's a full-size soccer field. And it's a good watch. Like, there's not a bad seat in that place. And it can hold over 5,000 fans with the new seats that they have for the supporter section. So 5,000 fans is going to support the majority of soccer that's ever happened in Chattanooga. So all that to say, once again, congrats to CFC on a good night. Ultimately, no impact to what happens with the Red Bulls. Word. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. And we will uh, see you guys next week after the Red Bulls victory against uh, um, North Texas. All right. Why am I not hearing myself? There we go. Where was I? You're the lucky one. Huh? said, why am I not hearing myself? And I said, you're the lucky one.
<laughs> Bazinga. Well done. At this point, based off of the weekend that we had in, in Twitter response with Detroit City, we're not going to be seen as impartial in any way, shape, or form. Hey-o. Like, yeah. Anyways. <laughs>